Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here's Jalen Rose. I'm David Jacoby. We are Jalen and Jacoby. What is it that we do? We get the people. They want from Saturday Night Live and that damn Michael Che. It is Michael Che joining us later in the program, but we start with the most important player for the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry, talked about his availability for tonight's must-win game four. Here is what Wardell had to say. Uh, I'm going to play. That's all, I, that's, all I, that's all I know right now. Get as much recovery and healing as possible. Understand how important game four is, and I'm excited about the opportunity. Because I went through what I went through at the end of the regular season and coming back, I know exactly what it is, what I got to deal with, and there's, I guess, comfort knowing I've been through it before, but also you'd rather not have to deal with something like that. Jalen Rose with Steph Curry, not 100%. The Warriors with a must-win game four in Boston. What do you expect from Steph? I expect him to play. I expect him to be effective. And if you look back at the the building of the Golden State Warriors dynasty, as I'll call it, it started with injury. When Steph Curry was early in his career, that allowed the team to give him a lesser deal mm-hmm. to build out the roster. And that became a championship team that also had another season that won 73 games. You Add a Kevin Durant to that situation, you win two more championships. KD leaves, Clay gets hurt. Steph deals with injury. Draymond deals with injury. And then Bob Myers, drafting. Steve Kerr, player development with his staff. And before you know it, you add a Wiggins as you parlay D'Angelo Russell. You continue to build throughout the draft. You add Jordan Poole. Gary Payton II becomes a rotation player. And Kaminga and Wiseman, who's not even playing for this team. And so now all of a sudden when Steph is healthy, you put him back into this team, they're in the NBA Finals. And so we've seen Steph earlier in the year deal with this kind of injury when Marcus Smart dove into his leg and he got injured. Steve Kerr said he could have continued to play in the previous game, but he took him out because they were getting waxed. I feel like once he puts on his uniform, like everybody else in the NBA Finals that's dealing with bumps and bruises and aches and pains, I feel like he's going to be ready to go. And like I tell you, Jacoby, it's something they do in these professional locker rooms to players. You can see him walking in looking like Fred Sanford. I've been there, man. I remember times when I was playing in Chicago. I'll never forget this. I was walking down the stairs, and I could barely stand up. I went out that night and had over 30. They gave me some stuff. I was like, oh, thank you very much. That's what I believe is going to also take place if Steph needs any kind of pain, killing, or shot, which I don't believe he's going to have to take. But I do anticipate he's going to be aggressive and effective. And here's also why. Why? 
When he said he understands the importance of game four, let me let, let me tell you a little bit more what he means. If they lose game four, he knows they're gonna lose the series. Yep. That that that's basically what he knows. That's what Clay knows too. You see what Clay was like, hey, we hope he plays. If he plays, we know if he doesn't play, then we gonna be extremely tough to win this series. So I'm expecting a good game. I'm ex- I'm actually expecting the best in the the best play in the closest game that this series has had so far. Well, the Warriors are going to need Steph Curry to be his best, but they're also going to need other contributors as well. Draymond Green has such an impact on game two. We spent so much time talking about the antics and what he does off the ball and all the hustle plays he makes. Game three, he did not have a good game. He spoke about the mindset going into game four. Here's Draymond Green. It's just about me finding that balance. And and just like I said on, on my podcast, being Draymond Green. Uh, I know how to be him better than I can be anyone else. I know how to be him better than anyone else can be him. So I just got to be myself. Jalen, 15 points in the series, 15 fouls in the series. How can Draymond get back to being the impactful player, making winning plays for the Warriors? Yeah, those numbers are super ugly. I think Houdini had a song say, Last night I had a long talk with myself. That's what it sounds like for me with Draymond. And you're right, Jacoby, it was a tale of two games, how he had such an impact when the Warriors won, and yet it was the reverse when they lost. But here's what also has to happen. He has to be some sort of threat offensively. See, if I'm Ime Adoka, I'm telling my team, please keep the turnovers down. Please make them play against our half-court defense where there are no weaknesses on our defense, number one. And number two, we can sag off a Draymond. We can play five defenders versus four offensive players in a lot of help situations. And so for Draymond, yes, the defense is going to be there, I believe. I don't think he's going to do anything to get himself ejected. And I do think his points, rebounds, and assists are going to be more than 10 in this game. But what I really hope happens is that he's aggressive when he gets opportunities to score. Because if you just do some simple math, if Steph, Clay, and Poole all have 25, that's 75. In the last game, they scored, what, 107, 108? You're still going to need some front court players. Wiggins, Otto Porter, Looney, Draymond Green. You're going to need those guys to give you some offense. And Draymond can also be somebody that helps his team in that area also. Key front court player for the Boston Celtics, Robert Williams III, has been in and out of the lineup all playoffs long. He's been hobbled. He looked good in game three. How important is it that he can be the same Robert Williams III we had in game three and game four? You know what I like about pieces in one big chess game? We're going to talk that? about the stars, Jalen and Jason. We're going to talk about the Splash Brothers and Draymond. But I don't think the Celtics win this series without Robert Williams' contribution going forward. Facts. He's that impactful. His height, his ability to change shots, block shots, um, a lob threat. And, and he is hobbled, as you mentioned. But the crowd and the team gets, gets charged up when he does a rejection like that. And look, giving him some offense, Jacoby, hanging on the rim with two hands. Giving him a little short offensive rebound. Look at that height. 
using it over the defender and getting the offensive rebound. Look, that's hype, Jacoby. Yep. That's why they drafted Wiseman, to play against guys <clears throat> like this. But since he can't go, Draymond Green and Looney have to be up to the task. But again, it's great to see Robert Williams out there performing the way he does. That's why I'm glad we're giving him some love. Well, you said if you were Ime Udoka, you would tell the Celtics to limit the turnovers. Well, guess what Ime Udoka said about the Celtics? He wants them to limit their turnovers. Here's the head coach. <laughs> as far as the turnovers, we understand what our record is when we do and don't. And, you know, the run that they had in the first half was due to that. You know, some a poor shot. We missed some free throws, but two of those uh, were turnovers. And other than that stretch there, we had done a really good job in the first half. So eight isn't terrible. <clears throat> We like to keep it under 15, so it was emphasis going into halftime. And to only have four in the second half was huge, obviously, especially when they're making a run. At least you're not aiding it by letting them get on the break. He mentioned the number 15 because 15 is the magic number when it comes to Celtics turnovers. When they have less than 50 turnovers, 13 and 2 in the playoffs. When they have more than 50 turnovers, 1 and 5 in the playoffs. What can they do to limit turnovers? The Celtics have no weaknesses defensively. So. If you're forced to play against their half-court defense each time, that's a tough way to get points. Mm. And he knows it, you know it, and I know it. And in the previous game that they lost, not only did they have 18 turnovers, 15 of those were steals. So now when you're getting steals, you're really out in the open floor making plays. Now here's the reverse. The Gold State Warriors third quarter squad did do what they do and play big in the previous game. However, the fourth quarter Celtics are now a thing in this series because they're plus 40. And in that fourth quarter, it was the Golden State Warriors turning the basketball over, yep. not the Boston Celtics. And Emei understands that clearly. Yeah, the fourth quarter Celtics, we always look at the offense, but they held the Warriors to 11 points in the fourth quarter in game three, and you are not going to win a game, especially in the finals, if you only score 11 points in the fourth quarter. Their defense is phenomenal. Jalen, latest episode of The Shop, streaming exclusively on the uninterrupted YouTube channel. LeBron James dropped a bomb. Here's what he said about potentially owning a team in Las Vegas. I want to own a team. Buy a team? Yeah, I want to buy a team. That's it. There for you sure. Go. There you go. Buying a right. team and then talking is a little tricky. Uh. If you own the team and like. Yeah, I would much rather own a team before I talk. I want, yeah, I want a team in Vegas. Good for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want the team in Vegas. Now, Jalen, Adam Silver said there are no discussions about expansion or a team in Vegas. However, I heard it first from Bill Simmons, the Podfather, that this is a real thing. Perhaps a team in Las Vegas, a team in Seattle, and now LeBron James says he wants to own a team in Las Vegas. Jalen, could you see that coming to fruition? I'm not mad if a team is in Vegas. First off, I would love to see LeBron James own a team. So let me just say that first. The second thing I want to say is, if we're adding teams right now, we have 30. So now if we're saying we're going to add 31, 32 teams, as you just mentioned, I think that's going to dilute the product. I'm happy to see more people play in the league and have NBA jobs. But if you look at the elite players in the game, right, they're spread thin right now. They're spread thin right now. When you look at each roster, you hope to have 
an all-star level player on each team, somebody that can trend towards being all NBA, somebody that can lead their team to a championship. Those players are already in the league. Those guys are already playing in the league. So it'll be interesting to see if a team that exists right now ends up moving to Vegas, moving to Seattle, but the expansion of the NBA and having more teams, I just don't know if that's something that's viable and it's something that's realistic over the next few years or so. I would love to see LeBron James own a team. It's no secret that the NBA needs to diversify the ownership group amongst the league. Now, Jalen, you made a really good point about the delusion of the talent pool. So I have a solution. Let's take the Pistons and put them in Vegas. That's all we got to do. We'll take the Pistons. <laughs> we'll put them in Vegas. The Las Vegas Pistons. That's as nah. simple as that, Jalen Rose. Nah. It's as simple as nah. that. Not going to be able to do it. Joining us in just seconds. You're not going to want to miss this. That man, Michael Che joins us right after this very short break. You're watching Jalen and Jacoby. Jalen and Jacoby is brought to you by Burger King. New cheesy breakfast melts. Coming to you live above the Heineken Riverdeck here in New York City. Welcome back to Jalen and Jacoby. Jalen Rose joining us right now, the head writer of SNL, co-host of Weekend Update, and that damn he Michael funny, Che. Funny. It is that damn Michael Che. Thank that you so much for taking the Michael time che. to join us on the show. <laughs> Yo, thank y'all for having me, man. This is my favorite sports show, honestly. Thanks a lot, um, man. We appreciate the love. That's so dope. So this is the second season of That Damn Michael Che. How is it different sort of writing and working on that show than SNL? Oh, man, the, the, the freedom, the real estate, you get to you kind of get to do it uh, uncut. You know what I mean? There's a lot of restrictions on network that obviously we got to work around. But on HBO Max, we could kind of just, you know, hit it the way we want to. Each episode is going to focus on a single topic and themes about race and so many other things. Why was it important for you to now branch off and do a show like this? I mean, I don't I think it was just what we find funny, you know, like just in the writer's room, what we were talking about, what's kind of in the ether, what's interesting, what's what's just literally funny to us. So it happens to be about that stuff, but it also happens to be about other things we find funny, like relationships, just, you know, money, all types of stuff. Well, one of the things I always say is people don't celebrate enough, and there's a lot of ways you can get a TV show, but you know it's a successful TV show when you get a second season, so congratulations on that. <laughs> celebrate yourself. It's different when you have one season. We get that second season, you know you did something right. Yes, it feels good on the on the get back, but you know you never know. It always feels like at some point I'll be figured out and they'll take it all away. But but it's, I always appreciate getting it. So you grew up in public housing on the Lower East Side in Manhattan. That don't look like where you are right now. Right? That's that's the crazy part. Like y'all kind of y'all work pretty much where I grew up, man. So it's, uh, shout out to Smith Houses and. Allen Street. My whole family's from Smith Houses, which is right down the block from uh, South Street. So, you know, the whole Lower East Side, man, that's that's where I grew up. That's my whole family's from there. How does so, your now comedy reflect the courage that you now have to talk about things like reproductive rights 
in cancel culture, knowing your background and the fearlessness you needed to now get you to this point? Man, uh, you know, it's crazy. I remember I saw in an interview, Deion Sanders said something when he was talking about uh, pressure, you know, in a sports situation. He was talking about the way he grew up and he was like, those are actual pressure situations. So, you know, a football game is nothing. And I feel the same way about comedy when you kind of grow up in certain conditions and and uh, you know how real life could get. You don't need courage to tell jokes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just jokes. This is just kind of relief from from the stress and relief from the pressure. Well, I mean, a lot of people know you from your great job hosting Weekend Update, but I've seen you, I think you had a weekly comedy show in the Lower East Side, like in the early aughts. I remember going to that. Like, tell us about the sort of the origin story, the early beginnings of Michael Che. Man, you know, with stand-up is weird because you kind of can't stray too far away from the origin stories. You know, it's like, like in sports, everything happens in the gym and you never leave the gym and... I think uh, where I started, you know, I still go to, you know, you still do those bar rooms, you still do those 15 minute spots, 10 minute spots. Uh, you still do, you know, the comedy cellar, the, the stand, the, you know, Caroline's on Broadway, you still do all of the clubs that you started out in to stay sharp. Well, we will be coming to represent in New York City in particular, come watch you perform. but. Getting asked to work on a story brand like SNL, I remember as a child watching Belushi and Aykroyd and Gilda Radner and Eddie Murphy, so Garrett many Morris. legendary comics to go on and do amazing things. What was it like for you to get invited to be a part of that show, but then be one of the people who actually helped elevated it? Yo, you know, it's, it's uh, first of all, I appreciate that. Um, it's crazy because I never wanted to be on the show. Like I never thought that, you know, that would be what I was gonna do. But I was at a I was at Hannibal's show in Brooklyn at the Knitting Factory. We used to do a weekly show on Sunday nights. And uh I was performing there and Colin was there, and Colin was head writer at the time of SNL, Colin Jose, and he asked me to come in as a guest writer. And I never wrote sketches before, so I didn't know what I was gonna do when I got there, but you know, I kind of been there ever since. So you really don't think about it like it's hard to think about it when you're there, you know, like you, you kind of step away every now and then and be like, damn, this is cool. Or Eddie Murphy's here or, or Tina Fey's here or, you know, Sandler's here. You know, you have those moments where you kind of geek out and freak out. But for the most part, it just becomes comedy. It just becomes trying to be funny on when that red light is on. So. It looks like you got a nice high-rise Manhattan apartment, but I also I want to talk about the bar cart you got back there. It looks like you have a wide variety of adult oh. beverages. Take us through, take us on a tour of the bar cart. Yo, well, you know, you got the you got to have the reposado. A lot of those, yep. you got the forty-two. I, I like a bourbon myself personally, so I got some bourbon in there. You know, a couple things, couple things. Yeah, it's for guests, for guests. Yeah, so, for so, guests, so, so the exactly. one, yeah. the one. Yeah. So the one thing about comedy or entertainment or music or sports or anything else is people don't get a chance to see your journey as you're working on your craft before it becomes a show on HBO Max or it becomes a skit for SNL. So can you talk about the process for those that hope to duplicate what you're doing as a comic and hopefully to get into writing, like the time and the energy and how you get into your vibe 
of actually producing great content? I feel like it, it again, it, it kind of starts with, you know, just being consistent, consistently working, consistently being on stage. You know, a lot of people that ask me for advice, like, how do you start comedy? And they always think they got to write material to start comedy. And I always tell them, don't worry about writing any jokes because nothing you write is going to hold up anyway. You don't know how to do that part yet. The most important thing is being comfortable uh, on whatever stage you at. You know, you, you, you kind of got to, and the only way to do that is to do it all the time. You know, it's, it's really that 10,000 hours thing, but for comedy, it's a lot longer than that. So I think the best advice I could give is, is just stick with it. Do it constantly, do it constantly. And, and after a while, you start to figure out what kind of jokes you want to tell. You start to figure out your own voice. You start to figure out your own pace. Um, then everything comes after that. So you're a New Yorker. You're also a Knicks fan. What do you think about the state of the franchise and what could happen moving forward? Come on, man. You know what I think about the state of the franchise. It's a... <laughs> Tell me, Jacoby. Jacoby a die easy like, yeah. fan. Huh? I jump it's on a, the bandwagon. A... I jump off. I'm a die easy fan. The opposite of a die hard fan. When they're winning, I'm in the <laughs> garden wearing a Knicks shirt. When they're losing, I'm off them. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, though, man, when, when they opened that garden back up and we played the Hawks, we had at least one fun game, you know, uh, <laughs> in that garden that was rocking. Ain't, ain't nothing like it, you know. It, it's a weird thing because, you know, the Yankees got all the World Series and the Giants got about four, I think, four Super Bowls and Rangers won. Everybody wins. But when the Knicks is even in the playoffs, nothing's bigger. Nothing's more important in the city. It's like the city has a heartbeat. And uh, there's a, it's just a culture of caring about the Knicks that uh, keeps me up at night sometimes. But man, when it's fun, it's fun. So I, I hope we do something in free agency. I hope we make a move to get a, a nice prime, you know, player that we could hang our hat on, a, a, a Mellow-esque, a Ewing-esque, a, a Bernard-esque type player that could get us deep into the playoffs and hopefully win it all, man. I, w I was hoping KD and Kyrie would be that. They flaked and, and went across the bridge. Uh, that seemed to work out great for them, but. <laughs> <laughs> they won the same amount of playoff games as the Knicks this year. Yeah, yeah. That's right, that's my point. And even when they was all there, they had the three biggest stars in the league across the bridge, but all New York cared about was the Knicks. And I think that that's something that hopefully free agents and you know players kind of see and man if you can make it here uh, we'll carry you out of this place man for real so in growing up in new york i have to ask how did you become a 49ers fan and what do you think about the situation at quarterback with jimmy g and debo samuel's contractual scenario going forward i don't know what's going on with debo man like that one kind of puzzled me i don't know why he wouldn't be happy i I wonder if it if it has something to do with with the Jimmy G thing. I I don't know what's going on. My friend Dan Soda, he's a he's a Niners fan too from Denver. Um, I was I don't know. I just I always loved the 49ers as a kid. I remember the rivalries with the Giants. I support the Giants. Only team I don't support from New York is the Jets, and that's just because I used to go to Jets games, and that was the Alabama of the tri-state area. But uh, <laughs> I just hated the way they – man, I never want to see them win. I just never want to see those fans happy. Nothing to do with the team. I just never want to see those fans happy if you've ever been to a Jets game. But 
Uh, the Giants, you know, I, I mess with the Giants. I, you know, I, I like them. As long as they don't play the Niners, I'm, I'm happy. But ever since I was a kid, man, that red and gold was just alluring. I guess it's in the way that a lot of kids love the Warriors now. Mm. You know, mm. Kids just love Steph Curry. Yep, good example. Yeah, for me, it was it was Jerry Rice, it was Steve Young, it was Dion for that one year, and you broke our hearts and went to Dallas. But uh, yeah. yeah, I just always loved the Niners. So, Mr. Che, fans can stream that damn Michael Che on HBO Max right now. When they click that button, what should what what, what will they get? Man, you it's it's exciting. It's just to me, it's it's comedy that. No matter what, it ain't boring. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're going to feel something. Even if you don't like it, you're going to feel something. And it's it's written with that intention. It's it's just fun to have something that uh, uh, hopefully you get the feeling that I get that made me want to do comedy when I watch some of my heroes, like It Live in Color or like Chappelle's show or like, you know, Robert Townsend movies and things like that. I think it's it's from that class, and uh, I hope people like it. So I don't know if you've been asked this question, but you just reminded me why I should because you just named some of my favorite comics and legends and TV shows and stuff like that. So I have to ask you: Can you name me your top three skits that you were not a part of? Your top three skits. Ever? That you were not a part of. Ever. The top three. The oh, le- it's almost man. like me asking somebody their top albums. I'm asking you yeah, your top yeah. skits. Oh, man. That's tough. I mean, word association with Richard Pryor and Chevy Chase got to be up there. Uh, man. Robert Goulet <laughs> with Will Ferrell when, when he's in the car with Jay-Z and... and and stay probably is hilarious. Um, oh man, that's a tough one. And the last one, I gotta give it to man. I gotta give Lemon Color some love. Uh, well, oh man, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Damon Wayans and Jim Carrey doing the the Hour of Power when they when they play the two preachers. Man, that used to crack me up as a kid. When they would play like the the Reverend Knight character and the Jimmy yeah. Swagger, oh man, that's so funny to me. I remember Living Color was the first show that they ever let us out of church early to watch because we had like a we had like a, a late night service and we got to go home early to watch Living Color and that was like if you understand church in the black neighborhood, that was a big deal. And it, it it was like the first show that actually spoke directly to us. I feel like you know in my generation, yes. so that's got to yes. go up there. I tried to do a set. I tried to do a skit from Living Color on this show like 10 yeah. years ago. It was called Durag Jalen. <laughs> we shot it and everything, but yeah. it never aired. It never it aired. Never you aired. Know it's so, something we could probably you know do crazy? now, but it didn't air. <laughs> I, I just remember, I swear, I, I, you, when you just said that, I just thought of something. In our writer's room, we had a sketch that we wanted to do with you, literally, where uh, a bunch of bald dudes steal your hairline. And you <laughs> <laughs> got the most perfect hairline all the TV. And we want to do this whole sketch about you trying to get your hairline back from a bald dude that kidnapped it. And uh, damn, maybe season three. If y'all watch season three, maybe we try to. We need to do that. Let's so, make it happen. Let's make it on. happen. 
So, Michael, you've done this whole interview, right? And you have just yeah. acted like Jalen Rose doesn't have a floral bonnet on his head right now. Like, there's some things I don't understand about the black culture. Like, how do you just see right past no that? No big deal. Like, how do you, yeah, how's Not that no big deal to you? If it work, it work. It's working. It's, it looks all right. I, I, you know, we will. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you see he got on the Jerry Fear of God hoodie. This man yes. is stylish. He already know what you it know. is. Yeah, I get what's He's going on, man. If it's working, it's working. <laughs> I, I love this. See, I can't, I can't pay attention to anything else. I haven't heard a single word that you've said or Jalen said this entire time. I'm just staring at the bonnet. But you just act like it's no big deal. Like it's just regular business. Just some dude in the bonnet. Nah, man, it's, it's, it's cultural, man. It's cultural. I get it. That's why Tell I love him. this show, honestly, because I feel like if I was hanging out with y'all when I'm watching, this would be the same exact conversation. I, I love y'all insight, man. I think y'all really, really, I, I don't know. Y'all got something special here, man. I, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. Man, that's Thank so you, cool bro. of you to say. We appreciate, we appreciate you coming on. You're welcome to come back anytime. That damn Michael Che from That Damn Michael Che on HBO Max. <laughs> Streaming now. We'll Peace. be back with more on Jalen Jacoby right after this. It is finals time tonight. Pivotal game four in Boston, 9 p.m. on ABC. And of course, NBA Countdown proceeds that at 8.30 on ABC, where you will see my co-host Jalen Rose and the Countdown crew. Jalen Bonnet now going to get a cut later. You'll see him suited and booted at 8.30 on ABC. But before that, and every single day on this program, since Brittany Griner has been unjustly detained in Russia, we acknowledge another day that we still not have received justice for Brittany Griner. 113 days she's been wrongfully detained in Russia. We wish her a speedy, safe return to the United States. Jalen Rose, it is an absolute must-win game for the Golden State Warriors tonight in Boston. The Warriors are favored by about four points. Who do you have winning game four tonight in TD Garden? It's not game seven, but both teams should approach it as such importance. Here's why. I believe whoever wins tonight wins this series. Boston Celtics go up 3-1. That's a stranglehold on the series. The Golden State Warriors tie this thing. They now have home court potentially if it goes seven. Important game. I think the Golden State Warriors find a way to win on the road. So, Jalen, it just seems like Steph Curry's going to get 30 points in every single one of these games. That's kind of locked in. That's a fixed variable in the equation. However, one of these three players needs to have a great game, whether it's Thompson or Wiggins or Poole. Who do you expect to be a running mate next to Steph to take them to a victory in game four? I, I believe Clay got going somewhat in the previous game, and the Splash Brothers are going to be ticking. I think Wiggins is the player that has a chance to get closer to 20 because I saw him slashing a lot, playing a lot of minutes up front, playing well defensively, and some of it was uncontested. It's going to be a great game. Looking forward to it. You can see Jalen at 8.30 on Countdown. You can see me at 8.30 on Hoop Streams. Game four tonight. We'll be back on Monday. <laughs>